November 2nd, 2021. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week are donated by Jenny and Joey Levy in honor of the birth of their new daughter, Mabruk. Uh, we're on the Gemara and Daf Yoda Mudbetir Masechet Roshana. Five lines from the bottom, two words before the end of the line. Says the Gemara Tanya, it's a Beraita. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Betishre Nivra Ha'olam, Betishre Noldu Avot, Betishre Metu Avot, Bepesach Nolad Yitzhak, Berosh Hashana Nifkeda, Sara, Rachel, Vehana, Berosh Hashana Yasa Yosef, Beta Asurin. בראש השנה בתלה עבודה מאבותינו במשרים וניסן נגאלו בתשרה עתידין נגאל. First opinion here in the Beraita, a listing of several significant occurrences, events on our religious and historical calendar. And each of them is given a specific date or a month that's uh, attached to the time of that occurrence. What are they? Biriyata Ulam is the first one. The creation of the world, as it were, was in the month of Tishrei. Uh, it's true, there is a Midrash, there are several Midrashim that dispute, even if we're to maintain, like Rabbi Eliezer, this first opinion. When we talk about Tishrei, are we talking about the creation of mankind, of humankind? That was Anrosh Hodesh Tishrei? Or does it mean actually the world as it seems to be presented over here? The general assumption, surprisingly, is that the world's creation, at least in our historical consciousness and memory, is to be envisioned as the end of Elul. So Kafhe Elul is when it begins, and creation of humanity is on Aleph B'Tishrei. That's the way the Midrash says it in several places. It's true on Rosh Hashanah, as the Gemara, as, as we know, as we say, Hayom Harat Olam, which sounds like Today is the birth of the world, which sounds like it's when creation, existence came into uh, reality, and not just human beings. You'd have to explain, as many of the Mepharshim do, that humanity, human beings, have the ability to bring together creation. So the world, so to speak, although being existent prior to Aleph B'Tishrei, really becomes, uh, it, it reaches its fruition of existence on Aleph B'Tishrei with the birth of humanity. What does it mean that the world began in the month of Tishrei? Aren't we speaking about a time prior to regular, uh, regular time, about a period time prior to regular time? You have to certainly take this Gemara as speaking conceptually more than practically. In other words, historically, what difference does it make when the world was created? Alternatively, if the Gemara, Rabbi Ezra, and subsequently the opinion of Rabbi Oshua are speaking about concepts, speaking about the significance of the day, so that already tells us for some reason we need to associate Rosh Hashanah as the time of creation of the world, which is far more important, although it might be equally true, uh, than just stating that's when creation began. Anyway, the statement over here is Betishrei Nivra Ha'olam. He'll bring sourcing for that in just a few moments. Uh, continues uh, Rabbi Eliezer back in the Beraita. It says, now what will become clear in just a moment is it's not referring to all the forefathers because they'll say right after it that Yitzhak was born on Pesach. So Avot over here, as Rashi points out at the top of Daf Yod Aleph, is a reference to Abraham and Yaakov. Of course, I'll have to bring sourcing for that as well. It doesn't say in the Torah explicitly anywhere, neither when the world was created nor when Abraham and Yaakov were born. Betishrei metu Avot. Says as well that the death of the of, of the avot was in Tishrei as well. But it's, it's a wonderful question. We'll have to address it in the Gemara. The assumption, well, there's no assumption. It's mahlokit. We don't know how to understand it exactly. As Nathan says, once we just said avot is referring to Abraham and Yaakov, so the mita of 
quote the Avot? Is that now all inclusive? Is it including Yitzhak as well? That's a good question. Again, we'll have to ask at some point, we're not going to address it today, uh, what's the significance of this? Although I might be able to, and I will today, address the significance of the date of creation of world, so to speak. Uh, what about the uh, date of the Avot? Um, is there something significant beyond just some sort of historical dead fact? Uh, continues the Biraita, however, Pesach nolad Yitzhak, it's on Pesach, anyone who knows this Rashi al-Hatorah is well aware. Pesach, but the Gemara will elaborate, is the time of the birth of Yitzhak berosh Hashanah nifkeda. The word nifkeda, pikadon, pakod yifkod elokim etchem, ha'alitem et asmotam etchem, is the words uh, with, uh, ref- with reference to uh, Yosef, to his brothers, right? What's the description of pikadon? Pikadon means to be remembered. Right, a pikuda is a time of remembrance, which means to say this is not describing the birth of Sarah, Rahel, and Hannah. It's referring to, so to speak, the conception when Akadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, remembers them, thinks about them, and as a result, and Kivyachol, and as a result, it's the day of their conception. It means that Rosh Hashanah is a time in which we reflect our Haftarah, our Kiryata Torah. In fact, reflects this matter. It's a day of Zikaron. It stands to reason there was a day of Zikaron for the Imahot or specifically for these three. Yes, John? What's the day of the Kudah exactly when age was born? So, I mean, when God basically they told Abraham he's going to have a baby, exactly a we'll, we'll address it. You know, on that exact day. We'll address the Gemara, we'll address it. Not today, but in, in due time. But again, Rosh Hashanah, Nifkeda, Sarara, Hel, Vehana. And as I said, it's very appropriate. Rosh Hashanah is a day of Zikaron. It's appropriate that they had their pikida, they had their Zikaron on that day. What about this? I mean, although we might be able to argue and find it in Mazim and Pesukim of some sort, what's the significance of that? Again, I can associate easily. Beginning of the year, beginning of creation makes sense. Beginning of humanity, okay. Uh, when I talk about Zikaron uh, of the Imahot, I can understand that as well. The Avot, perhaps, we'll have to find some. But what about this one? Freedom. The freedom of both Yosef and of Am Yisrael from Misraim. Of course, we all know that we left in Nisan. So the description over here is that six months prior, we stopped working at the very least. The makot were even beforehand. But it means that the understanding is that six months before redemption from Egypt, we stopped working. So there was a freedom of sorts, even though we were still chained up in Egypt, but we're free from the bondage of actual servitude. That's in the month of Tishrei. Additionally, Yosef. Yosef, of course, was put in the prison. And his redemption, his freedom from the prison on the day in which he's finally taken out and cleaned and shaved and so forth, is in Tishrei. What's the association of Tishrei, of Rosh Hashanah, perhaps? and freedom. So we, not too long ago, read about how the shofar was sounded on Yom Kippur. Shofar designated, shofar was deror, the ability to understand the shofar as a call of freedom. The uh, text message which uh, Mara sent to the chat of the Liberty Bell, the sounding of the bell, but really biblically, according to the Torah, the sounding of the shofar designates freedom. Ironically, might be familiar with the Gemara on the third Perik, which we learned together this summer, and that is that the very notion of sounding a shofar 
in the way that we do is learned from Kippur, right? In other words, the only thing the Torah says by Rosh Hashanah is that it's a Yom Teruah or it's Zichron Teruah. How do you define Teruah? How do you know it's a Shofar? We learned that from Baha'avatem Shofar Teruah in the context of Kippur, which means we're linking up Kippur, sounding of the Shofar, to sounding of the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah. The same way the sounding of the Shofar on Kippur designates freedom and liberty, so too, obviously, on Rosh Hashanah it does as well. It stands to reason then that somehow we have to associate Rosh Hashanah, ironically, it's not exactly the way most people associate that day, we have to reflect upon the concept of freedom. What sort of freedom are you dealing with, says the Gemara, in the classic sense of freedom from the Torah? What do you think about? You think about freedom of Yosef, you think about freedom of Avotein and Mitzrayim, that's freedom. What's a personal freedom on that day? Well, we each have our own. We have all the things that we've been enslaved to over the course of the year. Rosh Hashanah is the opportunity to set ourselves free from that. That's the ability to listen to the shofar and find your own personal redemption. I've chained myself up. I've locked myself in this mode of life. I found myself in circumstances that are difficult to remove myself, to unchain myself from sounding the shofar. Listening to the shofar is the opportunity to tap into a time of deror, tap into a reality of herut. Okay, well, that much is stated in the Beraita. And then the last statement is betishrei as well, atitin gael. Don't think it's just a personal freedom. It's not only a historical, Yosef and Israel one, but a future freedom as well. The Geulah Ha'atida, the statement is, is in the month of Tishrei as well. Very appropriate as well. Our ultimate freedom from the bondages of Galut, of exile, is going to take place in the most appropriate month, perhaps, according to Rabbi Eliezer. That's the month of Tishrei. Those are all the opinions of Rabbi Eliezer. Yehoshua disagrees. Top. What do you mean? Oh, why does he talk about first only month and then he designates specifically Rosh Hashanah? It's an interesting question. The, the Mefashim certainly are Middayek. Rashash I saw this morning is Middayek in this. It's not 100% certain what will become, not, not, not will become, in the Midrash, it's clear that when we refer to Tishrei as the day of creation of the world, we're referring to the first of the month. That's what we say on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Harat Olam. So we're not just talking about during the month. Why he mentions it like that, I don't have a Peshat interpretation. Do you understand the Diuk of Jeffrey? Jeffrey is asking the beginning of the Beraita says, Betishrei Nivraha Olam, Betishrei Nolduha Avot. And then he goes on to, Berosh Hashanah Nifkeda. So whereas the first several have it as Betishrei, in the month of, and I'm telling you that historically we imagine Rosh Hashanah as Rosh Hashanah, not just the month of Tishrei, as the creation of the world. So then why does he then go on to use the word Berosh Hashanah? If I'm equating the two, perhaps it should have said Berosh Hashanah throughout or Betishrei throughout. It's an important and interesting question. I mean, with regards to the birth of the Avot, okay, the argument could be, and we'll, the Gemara will never specify, will never have proof from Pesukim that that was on Rosh Hashanah. There'll be proof from Pesukim or a suggestion, hint in the Pesukim that it was during the month of Tishrei. So that one's easy. Why does it not say it on Biryat Ha'olam? It's true as well. It's not explicit in the Pesukim. But if that's our tradition on it, so wouldn't you want him to say it? Unless that's his reference. His reference is what I can prove, so to speak, from Pesukim with regards to Rosh Hashanah as, a month to the, as opposed to the month. Okay, Rabbi Yoshua Omer, the top of... Yeah, you missed the first three minutes. Yeah, that, all good, all good, all good. The Gemara says that the statement over here is Nivra HaOlam, it's Biryat HaOlam. I mentioned that there are several Midrashim that say that it's on the 25th of Elul, as you said, uh, Morris, and the creation of humanity is only on day six. 
That's the day of Biryat Olam, quote unquote, because that's when it comes to fruition. That's when it actualizes itself, or at the very least has potential for actualization through human being. That's the Tov Me'od, Tov Adam, right? Of uh, Tov Adam, of uh, humanity's ability to perfect creation. However, there are different opinions on this. In other words, the simple reading over here certainly is that creation begins, or we're to envision the beginning of creation during the month of Tishrei, or the on Rosh Hashanah Tishrei. Okay, so anyway, says the Gemara on would be Two lines from Tapir and Daf Yod Aleph Amud Aleph Ben Nisan Nivra Haolam. Contrary to Rabbi Eliezer, says Rabbi Yoshua, the world was created not in the month of Tishrei, but rather in the month of Nisan. Well, Nisan and Tishrei are both significant dates. We certainly envision them as two of the most significant months. Tishrei is, well, our Rosh Hashanah. Nisan is the first of the months. Everybody was yelling in the first Mishnah. Of course, Nisan, Rishon Hudachim, Chochei Hashanah, and so forth. Is there something more to it than that? Well, you might just take a step back and already notice, I mentioned this on a Wednesday night in the class, already the, the letters of each of, those word, of each of those months designate something for us. Tishrei has the letters that are very reminiscent of Reshit. It has the designation of it being a beginning of sorts. Nisan is Nes, is, is miraculous. Miracles, generally speaking, we associate with our own comprehension and experience. Nisan is the month of Am Yisrael. Nisan is the month of our nationality. Our national birth is during Nisan. Envisioning the world as having been created in Nisan is envisioning the world through the prism, refracting it through the lenses of humanity, of Am Yisrael, of who we are. Envisioning the world through the vision of Tishrei means I'm thinking about the world as God's domain, so to speak. It's when it began, so to speak, disassociated from a direct involvement with human beings. That's the difference between these two opinions. If I think about Tishrei using different words, I'm thinking about Deen. I'm thinking about God, strict judgment, him as a master, him as a ruler. If I think about Nisan, I'm thinking about Rahamim. I'm thinking about the fluidity, the human ex- experience in this world. It's the words of Rashi at the beginning of the Torah, very similar to this. Before I even mentioned them, Tosafot, we mentioned it during the summer, and Daf Kavzayin Amudal quote from Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam has a funny opinion. It's not fully understood. He says that both of these opinions, both Rabbeinu Ezra and Biyoshua, on this issue agree with one another. How could they agree with one another? One says Nisan, the other one says Tishrei. How could they agree with one? Says Tosafot, says Rabbeinu Tam, Elu elu Elohim Hayim. Both of these are the words of the living God. What are you talking about? What type of logic is there to that? He continues, he says, B'Tishrei ala b'machshava B'Nisan nivra in Tishrei, so to speak, it arose in the mind of God. In Nisan, it was actually created. What are you talking about? God has vision and has thoughts like that. He has a rumination period. He thinks for a couple of months and then he actually brings it to fruition. What type of statement is that from Rabbeinu Tam? In truth, however, the words even on Rosh Hashanah support Rabbeinu Tam. Hayom harat olam. Herayon means to be birth, it means to be conceived. Doesn't mean to be birth. Leda is birth. So Hayom Harat Olam seems to describe the beginning of this process of sorts. But furthermore, what's that stating for us? It brings us to Rashi in its beginning of the commentary to the Torah. Rashi notices that in Pasuk Aleph of the first chapter in Bereshit, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim et It uses that name of God, which we generally associate with Din. Din is Elohim, strict. 
letter of the law judgment. We envision him as almost being distant. Elokim milashon alim, strength, God's power to run the world, quote, as it should in a divine realm. That's the world we envision. Bereshit perek al pasuk al. Bereshit perek bet pasuk dal, it describes, beyom, on the day of creation by Amonai Elokim. At that point in Bereshit perek bet, already the name of God as Yodke Vavke comes to light. Which one is it? Yodke Vavke, we associate with Rahamim, with mercyful, with the fluidity, which, with the way that we hopefully treat our children, our, our, our colleagues, and so forth. That's fluidity, you're a human being, I understand. It's not always going to work exactly the way it should. Which one is it? Says Rashi, listen to the words, identical to his grandson's words, Rabbeinu Tam. He says, initially, God, so to speak, thought to create the world with me. That's Hadin. That's Bereshit Barai Lukim. he saw that it can't be mitkayem, it can't exist. We're human beings, we need a little fluidity. Can you wink a little at us, God? Can you give us a smile, give us a pass once in a while? Siref he therefore connected to it, he appended to Din Hashem Elokim. It's not just Elokim, there's a Midat Rahamim as well. What's that all describing? Well, first and foremost, it's an identical Gemara, according to his grandson, Rabbein Utam. The Gemara then is describing for us Rabbi Eliezer, Bioshua, talking about, quote, the beginning of creation, the way, quote, it could have been, and then the way it actually was. But what are we talking about when we describe the way it should be and the way it is? I mean, what really, what is that I've given this mashal on more than one occasion, but it's worth worth mentioning yet again. And I've, I've been inspired more than once by watching my father teach classes, because my father's way of teaching classes is much better, much more structured and organized than my own. I try my best, but I'm usually shooting from the hips, trying to figure this out as I go along. He, everything's pedagogical, everything's organized, he's got a whole vision, he thinks like a teacher, he acts like a teacher, he sleeps like a teacher, everything he reads is always, how am I gonna teach this to people? All the time, anytime I tell him an idea, he says, this is the way you could sell that to people. I say, I don't really care about how I'm gonna sell it. I'm just enjoying this myself. Anyway, that's the way he works. But watching him used to get me a little depressed because as a teacher, uh, watching him, I say, that's the way I should be. I can't even come close to that. So what am I envisioning such a reality? Again, kivyachol, kivyachol. I'm not uh, turning my father into midat hadin. But in that context, well, he's the ideal for me. That ability to teach, that ability to construct and to instruct a classroom in that fashion, that's an ideal. To be able to draw the people in, have them engaged in such a fashion, that's an ideal. Reality for me is I'm not really there. I'm working my way there. I'll have moments where it clicks and it works. I'll have those situations where I walked in with the right mindset and I was able to grab the people throughout the class and string them along and hit them with the punchline on everyone and all that sort of stuff. But having an ideal, having that Bereshit bara Elokim, envisioning the beginning of the world in Tishrei, that leaves for us an objective, a goal. That says as you're working your way through life, stop with the winks from God and the grins and him looking the other way. See if you could set yourself on that straight path, on that rigidity of sorts to be able to walk straight in your association with him in your worship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Bereshit bara Elohim is It means that I turn to you, says God, and I say, can you tap into my original intention? Because in reality, I always knew I was going to bring you about, and I knew 
I was going to have to figure this out a little bit differently. But can you in your own lifetime, can you be able to find that beginning, the alab al Can you live a life like that? Can you have a relationship with me in such a fashion that I don't need to look the other way, that I don't need to give you the, uh, the benefit of the doubt, that I can actually trust you in everything and anything that you're doing? That's the batihila alab al to the extent that the Gemara and Masech Menachot and Dafkaftet, which describes this conversation, a strange one, but listen to the conversation very briefly, of Rabbi Akiva, but Moshe Rabbeinu with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Moshe learns about the future, and he sees Rabbi Akiva, who has this ability to explain the Torah in ways unprecedented and unimagined by Moshe Rabbeinu, and he turns to God and he says, so show me his sachar, show me his reward, and God shows, of course, that tragic ending of Rabbi Akiva, where they're raking his skin off with these combs of, of iron or of brass, and Moshe turns to God and he says, so Torah v'zosechara, that's his Torah, and this is the sachar for him, what's God's response, shtok, be quiet, kach ala b'machshava lefanai. This is what I thought about. Those are the same words that we're talking about over here. The initial thoughts of God. What is that a reference to? Midat hadin. Rabbi Akiva, God is hinting to Moshe and to us, found a way to live life as that straight, absolute rigidity of relationship. Of course, there's a depth to that. Can you imagine getting to the ideal state of worship in which when you're that straight, when you're that plugged in, well then, yes, one step over the line is the end of it. When you're the individual whom, you know, I think you're just kind of training over here. It's okay. You know, you look at the young amateur athletes. We can look the other way when they make silly mistakes in in their game. When they get up to the highest level, they make even a small mistake, then they lose points for it, then uh, we take it out on them. That's the statement of Rabbi Akiva, that's the statement of God in context of Rabbi The ability to create the world in Tishrei, the godly month, the Reshit, the beginning of all, well, that's something we strive for. That's the ideal. The reality is we live in a world of Nisan. We live in a world of relationship with God. We know his name, Yodke Vavke. We don't know him as that distant and cold being who dominates and, can, and runs the world in that, in that way with all that strength. Anyway, that's the two opinions over here. Rabbi Yoshua Omen, Ben Nisan Nivra Ha'olam. He continues, Ben Nisan Noldu Avot. That's, uh, that, that's, that's also disagreeing with the first opinion of Ezer. Ben Nisan Metu Avot. That's not disagreeing. Be Pesach Nolad Yitzhak. That's agreeing. Be Rosh Hashanah Nifkeda Sarar Achel Vechana. That he agrees with the first opinion of Bili Ezer. Be Rosh Hashanah Yasa Yosef Mbet Asurin. Be Rosh Hashanah Batila Avodah Me'avotenu Mitzrayim. That's all agreed upon as well. Benisan nigaelu. That, of course, is pasuk in the Torah. Benisan atidin nigael. That's a new one as well. He's disagreeing with us. So he has three disagreements with Rabili Ezer. We're going to go through not only the disagreements, but the agreements as well. One by one, we'll begin with creation of the world. Rabili Ezer told us the month of Tishrei. Rabbi Yoshua told us the month of Nisan. We talked about the significance. What about the sources? Tanya, a beraita, another beraita, helps us with the sourcing over here. How do I know that the world was created, quote unquote, in the month of Tishrei? This is a description of creation on day three. God says the world should be blanketed with grass. Esef Mazri Azera, there should be individual blades and blankets of, bla- of this grass. Additionally, Etz Peri, 
Ezehu, what's Etperi? Etperi sounds like a fruit tree. Ezehu Chodesh, what month is it? Again, this is the third day of creation. We're imagining it, and we should, and for the context of our Gemara, as the third day. I mean, third day is third day. Ezehu Chodesh, Shaharetz Mosiad Deshaim, Ve'ilan male perot. When is the time period? And Morris, you understand why the Gemara has not. You say, if you say it's kafhe elus, and then we're only on kafhet, and he's going to be bringing a proof from day three. That's why it's not so simple in terms of specifically associating. It comes back to Jeffrey's question as well. Why are we talking about Tishrei? Because we mean during the time period it appears of Tishrei. Anyway, ezul chodesh sha'aretz mosiad deshaim. What's the month during which? the ground begins to sprout grass, because the Pasuk says, it should bring forth, so to speak, what's God's words being fulfilled? Watching the ground growing, not watching a grown ground. Do you understand the difference? I can talk about, I snap my finger and there's grass. That's one description. The Pasuk does not say. The Pasuk says, that's a verb. The ground should grow that grass. So what's the month during which the grass is beginning to grow or is growing? And furthermore, the tree is already in because on that one, it's snap the fingers. It's not it's. It's it's So there's two mentions in the Pasuk. He's reading it very carefully. The first mention is the ground is sprouting grass. The other is the tree is filled with fruit. What's the month during which the grass is coming up and the trees with fruit are already filled? That's the month of Tishrei. Nisan will be a bit different. Nisan will be the month during which... We'll, we'll see it if we make it today. But Nisan is when they're starting to come forth. But as the scripture says, and that time period continues, continues to be the Ezer and his proof. That was the time period. That is the time period. We know this already. Where the rain is supposed to begin. Of course, we don't want it beginning too forcefully after the month of, uh, in the month of Tishrei. We want to make our way back from Sukkot to our homes, but we start with Heshvan, in fact, is already uh, the time during which we're really looking forward to this. Why is rain known as Revi'ah? Lirvo'ah means to penetrate. The vision of the Hachamim, the beginning of Masechet Ta'anit is rain penetrates the ground. It has this ability of coming down and plowing itself into the ground and then sprouting forth or jumping up as well. So what's the month during which we envision the beginning of the rain? What's the rain season? It's Revi'ah, and you have to imagine in turn, says the Gemara, says Rebili'ezer, that in day three of creation, there wasn't only grass and there wasn't, that was sprouting, and trees with the fruit. There was rather rain as well, and as a result, that's how they sprouted. After all, the Pasuk does say, Mars, how are we translating the word id? Mist. Mist. You told me moistness last time based on my translation. Wetness. Yeah, yeah, that depends how, depends which Devar Torah, uh, Jeffrey, depends which year Devar Torah had to translate the word id. Id means wetness or, or mist or a cloud of some sort. If I'm not mistaken, Unculus translates it that way. But the description again in terms of creation is this is a time period during which there are clouds, there's mist, there's rain, and there's grass which is growing and trees which are filled with fruit. Says Rabbi I know what date that is. That's the month of Tishrei. Rabbi Yoshua, how are you going to defend your opinion that the month of Nisan is creation of the world? Same, same context, day three of creation. But listen to the words. 
Pause for a second. What actually comes forth? So God's words were, it should start sprouting of some sort. What comes forth? It appears as if it's already grown. So the grass is already grown, continues the Pasuk. And the tree will create fruits. That's a complete flip. Of Rabili Ezer. Rabili Ezer said it's the time when the ground is sprouting grass and the trees are filled with fruits. All right, Tishrei. This description is it's the time when the ground is filled with grass already grown and the trees are only beginning to fill with fruits. What month is that? And that time period, furthermore, Nisan. You should know that's the time period during which we imagine or we knew that uh, animals were uh, beginning to mate with one another. If you recall, this is the Pasuk we were Doresh some time ago in the context of Ma'asir Behema, La Veshu Karim Hason, Ba'amakim Ya'atfu Bar, Yitro'a'u Afyashiru. The Pasuk describes how the wheat in the field, the produce, is knocking one against the other, making noise, and it's the same p- time period. Period during which the animals are mating one with another. Fascinating. That's fantastic. Do you follow what Mars said? Mars continued what we said earlier from Rabbeinu Tam. I never noticed this. Mars says, look at the words that each of them are citing. Rabbi Ezer cites God's words. What were God's words? Quote unquote, his vision. Quote unquote, his conception. What's that? Okay, so he says it should be a ground which is sprouting grass, excuse me, a ground which has, is sprouting grass, and the trees are already, are already filled with fruit, right? That's his description. Those are the words of God, the mahshava, so to speak, the beginning. What's the actual occurrence? That's the Pasuk of Rabbi Yoshua. Fantastic. It's a proof for Rabbeinu Tam. Ve'idach says the Gemara, Nameh HaKetiv How would Rabbi Li'ezer respond to that Pasuk? After all, the Pasuk of Rabbi Yoshua is, the trees are only now fashioning fruit. They're only bringing forth the fruit now. Rabbi Li'ezer, you said, it's the time period during which the trees are already filled with fruit. That was your defense of it being Tishrei. Ha'u libracha lidorotu dikhtiv. He says, that's for the promise for eternity. In other words, the description in the pasuk of what comes forth, I mean, I had the diuk from here always, but you have much better than me. The description of, 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 of that pasuk, which says that it's etz ose peri, is the way it will be in the future. In other words, says Rabbi Ezra, creation began, it was etz peri. It was trees which were already filled with the fruit. You walked outside in the morning. There were no human beings to do so. God, so to speak, looked outside in the morning or after his statement or whatever, and he saw trees, as he stated, filled with fruit. But the pasuk says it's et osepiri. They're making fruit. They're only blossoming now. That's in the future, which means that the world began with finished fruit, and the future is a process of fruit. Uh, that's an important vision. That's an important vision which we'll return to in a moment. What about Rabbi Yoshua? Rabbi Yoshua has to respond to the Pasuk HaKetiv Etz Peri. Rabbi Yoshua has to respond to the Mahshava Mars. Has to respond to the statement that the Pasuk says it's a time period during which the trees will be crafting fruit. That's the month of Tishrei. They don't already have fruit. He'll explain that based on the statement of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. What does it mean that it's etz peri? The trees already have fruit on them. Kol ma'aseh bereshit. 
all of creation, everything, lekomatan nivreu, ledaatan nivreu, lesivyonan nivreu, all of creation in their initial creation, which means to say when God initially brought forth everything and anything that exists, they were built in their full fashion, their full form and height, their full knowledge, and their full sivyon, which Rashi elsewhere interprets as rason, with their will. Strange gemara, strange description, Masechet Chulin and Dafsamech. It's so to speak, God asks them, before they exist, how and what they want to be when they exist. But they don't exist, so how can he be asked? Okay, important, nice dilemma and paradox. Regardless, the Emar Pasuk says that God creates, finishes, or it finishes the heavens and the earth. Chosva'am, is translated as legions, really, anything and everything else up there. don't read as Siva'am, rather as Sivyonam, according to their will. What's that statement? Okay, so each one of them, both Bili Ezra and Bioshua, defended themselves. Ultimately speaking, the statement of Bioshua ben Levi is a fascinating statement. Let's review that statement very briefly. His statement goes like this. His vision of creation goes like this. Everything came forth in its complete form. Those are my words. But it stands to reason. He says, based on their will and the, and the proper height um, and uh, everything is perfect on them. And then the future will bring forth not so. The future will be it's also pity. Again, creation began with it's pity. God brought forth trees already filled with fruit. The future, however, will be trees which will have to bear fruit and then bring forth those fruit. That's a description of everything. Everything, all of creation. Everything. Think about the description of humanity in the Torah. Think of, that's right. Adam and Chava is the easiest way to envision this, says, says uh, Jared. The Gemara Masechet Hagiga, for example, says that human beings, Adam, was almost, almost like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Physically even the Gemara describes him as being from earth all the way up to heavens, from one side of the world to the other side of the world. Quite the macho he-man of a person. He was an individual, the Gemara says, and again, don't be too literal on this, but understand conceptually what it means, who could see from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, which means to say humanity began in, quote, that almost complete fashion. And then, after eating from Eshada'at, nitma'it, he was minimized. And what happened as a result? Something that we call process, life as we know it. Which means to say, the description here of the Gemara is a description of everything. And I'll bring you back to the theme we had just a few moments ago. Again, the description is everything began in the state of completion. Then the future vision was they'd have to gain and earn and live and process until they get to completion again. The trees began with the fruits on them. The future growth of the trees is a process to get to that. Human beings began where they should end, but that was the beginning. After the beginning, you then have to achieve it. You have to go through that process of existence. So why begin it like that? Why begin humanity in that state of being where they're almost perfect? Why start the trees with the fruit on them if ultimately speaking real life is going to be that they have to sprout and blossom those fruit? It describes for us origins once again. It describes where we want to be. It describes my father's classroom. That's right, you got it. It describes Bereshit bara Elohim et It's the dinic of existence. It's the state of completion. It's when you're finally there. That's what we're 
tracing ourselves back to on a constant and consistent basis. I say it all the time, which describes how at the conception of human beings as a baby in the womb of their mother, they're taught at which point uh, before emanating, before coming out into the world, they're, for, they're, they're caused to forget it by the malach. So then why teach it to them beforehand? And the answer again is, it gives me a destination, it gives me an ideal. Who am I? I'm an individual who lives and knows a life of Torah. But you don't know any Torah. You don't know anything. You haven't studied at any point. No, but I come from that. It's the same thing in all of creation. The trees, the human beings, the animals, and anything and everything that fills existence began in a state of completion because it now sets forth for us a vision, a perspective, a goal, an ambition where we want to get to. The Gemara then gives us the opinions of the Bileaz and Bioshua and sets for us a vantage point of where we came from and in turn where we are, where we want to go to. Yes, Nathan? Oh, interesting. Says Nathan, more than giving us a goal, it's also to say to us, don't imagine for a single moment that this was your achievement entirely. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you the complete, uh, the complete situation. And now as a result, as complete as you'll get in this world, you'll have to constantly remember, but I didn't actually create this because it began not with me. It began in the hands of God. Fascinating addition. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.